You know, uh, when May rolls around, it's uh, always that time of year when your um, your TV shows hit that uh, season finale, and they always build you up to that point. And uh, then we've got a, a few shows that we record and watch. And so, but you know, in the season finale, the whole goal is to leave you hanging all the way through the summer until they pick it back up in the fall. So all of us are hanging, you know, are they going to, are they going to die or are they going to, what are they going to do? Are they going to get married or whatever, you know, as they leave that hanging? Uh, walking through the book of Joshua, you're going to feel that way a little bit. Uh, two weeks ago when Brett did a wonderful job just talking about Rahab and the spies at that point, kind of let you hang into where we go. And that's the whole book of Joshua. I encourage you to go read it. It just, man, so much action, be an incredible movie to, to be able to, put together. But uh, today we have, uh, we're going to be in Joshua chapter three in just a moment. And we we're coming to that point of, man, it's time to go into the land. And are they going to be, are they going to make it into the land? So we left you hanging there and that's where we're going to pick it up. But let me kind of give you a, a picture uh, about life a little bit. We, life hinges on decisions. The decisions you make, uh, you're facing decisions and the decision you make, much of life will hinge on. In 1947, after World War II in Japan, there was a guy by the name of Mr. Morita, and he met with some other men, and they met out, and all they had was a bombed-out area in Japan that they met to try to do their business there in uh, in 1947 in Japan. Mr. Morita developed what was what became known as the first transistor, and uh, Mr. Morita was trying to figure out what to do with this invention that he had made, and he was approached by Bulova, the watch people, and Bulova came and said that they would like to buy his patent for the transistor, and what they would do is is though they would use it under their name though Mr. Morita would not be on it it would just be under Bulova so Mr. Morita is trying to figure out what to do with this thing that that he he's caught so he's caught in this dilemma of uh, meeting in a bombed out place with no money do we make the decision to go with this big company that's going to buy us out or do we just hang on and, and to what we have there well Mr. Morita decided to hang on to his patent, and uh, he eventually changed the name of his company, and that company became known as Sony. And Sony uh, obviously made it uh, because of that decision. But his, much of what he did hinged on that one decision. When it comes to your life, and not just your existence, but your faith life is going to hinge, the strength of your faith life is going to hinge on certain decisions you make. And that's where we are with the children of Israel today. They're hinging on a decision. Will they make it? Will they not make it? And so in Joshua chapter 3, I want you to turn there with me. It will be on the screen. But I, I want to just read you the overview of this whole story and then unpack it a little bit and see what God has to say to us individually through this. So in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, snuggle up there and let me read what's going to happen here. It says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan. That's about seven miles from the Jordan River, okay, from Shittim. It also means acacia groves, which uh, uh, there was acacia trees that grew there. And But from Shittim to Jordan, there was about seven miles where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. 
Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Somehow Mark verse 4. I, I think it's a personal verse. I've been struggling with this for two weeks uh, that God is speaking to me, but I, I know he's speaking to all of us. But just think about it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been that way before. So often we think God will only take us on a familiar path. I'm telling you, he will take you where you have never been before. And that's what's about to happen to the people. And it says this, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits. That's about a half mile between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priest, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today, I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now, uh, okay, that's leadership right there to get these guys to even go into the water that's at flood level. And Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Mosquito bites, all the bites that, that are there. Verse 11. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the Lord, when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Now we're trying to think, what does that look like? If you were to go to Israel today, the Jordan is not near what it was during that day. They've irrigated it so much and it's different. And uh, in fact, the, you, the Jordan starts up in the north, goes into the Sea of Galilee, comes out of the Sea of Galilee, goes all the way down Israel, separates Israel and Jordan there and flows into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is the lowest spot on the world, so it's drying up all the time or, or it's losing uh, water all the time. But uh, the Jordan uh, at this place, I, I went back just to do some investigating on what it would have been like thousands of years ago. And it was said that from snow melts and the runoff that the Jordan River, which flowed as a good river, all of a sudden at flood level would be about a mile wide. Imagine a mile wide river that they're at all of a sudden. Let's, let me go ahead. Verse 15 it says, yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on 
dry ground. It wasn't like it was muddy ground. It was dry. I mean, many people say, well, it was a natural phenomenon that the river just backed up at that point. Okay, it did. It's amazing how it was foretold and that it happened at the exact time when the priest stepped in and it was dry. It wasn't wet and that it closed back over the the after they'd climbed out. Okay, natural phenomenon. Uh, but that's uh, pretty incredible. But they walk across a million people on, on uh, we're going to be crossing the Jordan at this point. Now, let me give you a little bit about what they were facing uh, to go into this, and then I'm going to make this very relevant to you and I this morning. A million people are needing to cross the Jordan because why? Because the promise of God is on the other side of the Jordan. The promises of God were not on the side they were on, but they were on the other side. So they were going to have to traverse this if they were going to be where, where God had promised them victory. Now, they're, they're looking at this mile wide. It's an incredible, uh, almost a chasm that they're thinking there, this is the impossible. But 40 years ago, their, their ancestors had met the impossible at what was called the Red Sea. And with the, they had been slavery in Egypt. They came out. Moses led them out. They come to the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts. These people go across. The Pharaoh's army tries to cross. The, the Red Sea comes back upon them and, and drowns them. And the, sea, and, and the children of Israel are on the other side. Now, because they had wandered for 40 years, instead of going in like they were supposed to, they're back now to go into the promised land at the Jordan. So they had seen what God had done before, but now they're facing the impossible, this new generation. Now, I want you to hear me on this. There's a symbolism here that you need to hear. The parting of the Red Sea was so that they could come out of bondage. The parting of the Jordan is so they could go into the victorious promised life of Christ. Now, here, here, let me, let me say this. Many of you in this room have stepped out of the bondage of sin. You've received what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you to, for your forgiveness. But let me ask you this. Are you, can, can you truly say that you've walked in that fullness of what Christ has offered you? So this message today may be just for you to find the victory that he has for you. But the people are at this place and uh, it seems like the impossible is before them. And so how are they going to respond? Now, 40 years ago, they responded by lack of faith and didn't go into the land. Are they going to do that again? Are they going to come to this point and see that this is impossible? There's no way we can do this. So we're just going to walk away from it again. Or... Are they going to play the victim card? Oh, God, we've wandered for 40 years. We've done everything you ask us to do. We ate that manna in the wilderness, and we've come to this point. And so look at this. You know how we get sometimes. We get so whiny. And so are they going to play that card? Are they going to play whiny card? Or are they going to walk in fear? Uh, you know, we can't do this. There's just no way. Uh, God... I'm so fearful of what I'm seeing here that there's no way that I can make it. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you have faced decisions before and you know God was in it, but you're thinking, I just can't see the way on the other side and you get fearful. Or, fourthly, are they going to trust God? They know that God has brought them this far. He's brought them to this point, And now are they going to trust him with this obstacle, the impossible that is in front of them? Here's some things I want to challenge you with today. What is the impossible that God is asking of you today? Now, I don't know what it is. I can tell you this, first of all, 
Many of you think that you made a decision to follow Jesus. I want you to know you couldn't even come to Jesus if he hadn't drawn you in the first place. That's an impossible. The things that are impossible for man are possible with God. Maybe today somebody is in this room and you say, okay, it is time for me to take that faith step with Christ. Maybe that's what he's asking of you. Or maybe somebody in this room is hearing this message and you're thinking the impossible that God is asking for me is to lead my family in a godly way. Not let the world determine how I'm going to lead my family, but to lead my family in a godly way. Maybe for somebody in this room, God is calling you to step out in faith with a career move or to get married or to have kids or or whatever it may be, to move, I don't know, or to move here if you're a guest. I, I don't know, but maybe God is is putting out there what seems impossible for you. Or maybe it's to share your faith. Share your faith with, a, with another family member or a neighbor or a workmate. Or I think about, you know, last week we had these seniors in front of us here and the life is before them and they've, they've uh, completed an incredible uh, task to graduate from high school. And, and, you know, when you're in high school, you think your whole social life is revolving around you and that we're going to be friends for life, only that I look back on my life and I can count on one hand probably the high school kids that, that were friends then that are intimate friends now. It, it's just life goes on. So I say that as a challenge to you uh, students that maybe in these last week that school has, maybe God's put somebody on your heart thinking this may be my last chance to tell them about Jesus. And some of you adults, the same thing. Maybe neighbors, maybe uh, workmates, maybe this one. Maybe God has called you into a ministry of some sort. Maybe it's full-time ministry. Maybe it's something you've wrestled with forever and you're thinking, there's no way, God, you're going to call me to do that. But maybe he's doing it. Maybe it's to teach a class or, or maybe what Ashley said, it was something that triggered and you're thinking, man, what greater mission field than the 4 to 14 window? Why would I not be involved in something like this? And you're thinking, but I don't know if I can do that. I, I, I don't know if that, God, it, it seems like the impossible that is in front of you. Maybe you're beyond, you've already raised your kids and you're an empty nester and God is saying, listen, this is a chance to go back and invest in a biblical way to another generation. I don't know. I'm challenging you today, though. Ask the Spirit of God, what is the impossible you're asking of me? You see, our temptation is to look at our abilities, to look at what we can do, and that's what we walk in instead of by faith walking with the Lord in the impossible. So I'm asking you that. But what is keeping us from stepping out on faith? Is it fear because we've never gone that way before? I think sometimes... God, I've never done that before. Uh, uh, you sure that's what I'm supposed to do? And we get fearful. How about past fears, past failures? We're thinking, God, you can't use me. The comfort of this world. God, if you, if you call me to do something, it means I'm going to have to quit watching TV every night. I may have to get up and go do something. Uh, uh, you know, God, I don't know. I really love this world. Um, maybe it's to, you, you have doubts in yourself or you doubt God or you have fleshly hang-ups or addictions or there's some guilt and shame there you know how that guilt and shame is you've done stuff that if people were to find out what you've done before that there's no way that god can use you only i love central everybody's screwed up in this place what i love about here is that is that there's different kinds of churches i didn't say this in the first service but i say it now there's different kinds of churches uh everybody's screwed up okay everybody has a story so don't be offended when i say that 
Everybody has a story. What I love about Central is we're able to tell the story and not walk in guilt and shame. Okay? And I hope that culture exists here, and I, and I pray that it does. But we walk in that. We let guilt and shame determine. Or maybe the reason you don't walk into that impossible realm is that because you, you're afraid what your family will say. I, wonder, I remember one of the most fearful conversations I ever had with my mom was when I knew that God was calling me into the ministry to be able to say to her, Mom, this is what I think God is saying. Because you're going to get things like, well, don't you need to get something to fall back on? Don't you need to have some other skills? No, Mom, I don't have any skills. I'm just going to go into the ministry. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, or the thing that may keep you from going after the impossible is discouragement. You're just discouraged. And you just can't make it. What is keeping you from attempting the impossible? I have to believe these people were struggling with the same thing. But Joshua told them four things. If we're going to cross this Jordan and go to the promises of God, there's four things you're going to have to do. The first thing he tells them is this. Look to the ark. In verse 3, he says, see the ark. Now, what is the ark of the covenant? Now, many of you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, the old movie there. And, and that's exactly what the ark looked like, I'm sure. But it wasn't. But, but I want to tell you that the ark was constructed, and, and just so you get a picture of what the, these people, the, they were nomadic people, but the ark represented the throne of God. And inside of this ark, this chest, were three things. Number one that was in there were the tablets that Moses had brought down from the mountain with the, with the commandments of God on it. That was one thing that was in there. A second thing that was in there is when they were wandering in the desert, God daily provided food for them called manna. It was only good for the day. But he told them to take some and to put it in a jar and put it in there. And so that would, was also in, in uh, the ark. The third thing that was in the ark is that Mo, uh, Moses' brother Aaron, who was the high priest, Aaron had the rod of God, uh, which had originally been Moses's, but it was given to Aaron. And this rod God used to part the Red Sea. There was many things God used with that rod. And there, was, there came a time where the people were arguing back and forth about who was the true leader and this kind of stuff. So Moses said, everybody get a leader, who your leader is in your tribe. Have them bring uh, their own staff forward, their own rod forward. And uh, we'll see who, whichever rod dead stick blooms, then that will be the one God has chosen. And so Aaron, the, the high priest, his staff, this dead piece of wood that he uses as a walking stick, bloomed. And so they put that in the ark, which showed the, just the growth and life that comes from God. So it was the, the tablets, this manna, and this rod that were in there. That's what was in there. But the, the thing as a whole represented the presence of God among them and the throne of God. Eventually, you'll read about how they took it into battle and God did incredible things with that. But, but you've got this ark. And uh, so... What he's saying is this, keep your eyes on the ark. What is he saying? Keep your eyes on God. Don't let your eyes turn to the flooded Jordan. Keep your eyes on God. If we're going to make this thing, if we're going to cross the Jordan, we've got to keep our eyes on God. So when you see the ark, that's number one. Number two When you see the ark move, 
you need to get up and follow it. When you see God move, get up and follow. Don't stay where you're at and say, I wonder where God's going. No, get up and follow. You see, the way they would do it is they would set the ark and the tabernacle in the middle and everybody, all these millions of people would camp around it according to their tribes. This particular time, Joshua is saying, when you see it get up and move, it's going to go first. And then you get in line and you follow. You can't experience God and stay where you're at. you got to get up and go. And so that's what he's saying. Get up when you see the ark. Let your gaze be on God. And then what you need to do is when you, God moves, when you see the ark move, you go after it. You follow it. Now, the third thing he says is, seems a little odd. He says, but stay a half mile away from it. Now, that sounds strange. Why is that? It's because God is awesome. You can't even get that close to him or you'll get fried. Moses says that anyone who looks upon the face of God will die. Nobody could go up the mountain except for Moses because because you get too close to that holy and that which is imperfect will fry. And so we, we look and he said, don't go within a half mile of that. In other words, see the awe of God and respect it. Respect the awe of God. I'm afraid we've lost that. I'll talk about it in just a second. But I'm afraid we've lost the awe of God. And you may be thinking, well, is it that big a deal? Let me tell you, King David tried to move the ark into Jerusalem, and he had him moving the ark on a cart instead of the priest carrying it. And there was a couple of guys walking next to it. The cattle stumbled with the ark. A guy by the name of Uzzah reached up to steady the ark, and God fried him right there. And you're thinking, oh, God is so mean. No, God is holy. Anything that's unclean is not going to make it in his presence. We think it's all about us. Let me tell you, it's about a holy God. And what, what, what Joshua is saying is here, stay a half mile back. I think after you'd see Uzzah fry, you'd back up a half mile. But, but they, he's saying stay a half mile back. And then Joshua tells the people this, consecrate yourself. Now, that's not a word that we use very much. We don't know what that means. It actually means set yourself apart. Set yourself apart from the world, from everything else. But when somebody was told to consecrate themselves, there were three things that they did. You ready for this? Number one is, is uh, as they would consecrate themselves, they would clean themselves up physically. Take a bath or whatever. Clean themselves up physically. Number two is they would put on fresh new garments. Or if they didn't have new garments, at least fresh, clean garments. And then thirdly, if they were married, they would refrain from sexual intimacy uh, for, that, for that time set apart for the consecration. But it means to set yourself apart, purify yourself. And, and you have the bath, and you have the new garments, and you have the refrain from the relationships. Now, now we're thinking, okay, that sounds pretty good, the ritual of, of purification. But here's the deal. These people had wandered for 40 years in the desert. There wasn't much water to bathe a million people, okay? So we get caught up in the water, water part of it that need, need to be clean. He just said, set yourself apart physically. You need to set yourself physically apart, and you put on your best garments, and you refrain from the relationships, and here's why. is because a new day is about to happen. 
It's not all about getting clean. It's not about new clothes. It's not about refraining from relationships. It is about a new thing. God's about to do a new thing, and you need to set yourself apart because it's about to happen. That's what he's telling them. So part of it is we're going to do this in a physical sense. You know how you do physical things to prepare you uh, internally for something you need to do, and that's what they were doing. But the whole deal is you need to set yourself apart because of what you're about to do okay those are the four things that uh, joshua said to the people they did those four things we know that the priest went and stepped into the water it parted they went across to the other side so what does that mean to you and i today if we're going to attack the impossible that god has given us whether it's salvation whether it's holiness and purity whether it's marriage or career or sharing our faith with somebody or going into the ministry or going into a ministry how can we take those four things to prepare us personally, okay? Number one is, is this as we, as we look at this. Are you looking at God? Are you truly looking at Him? If we're going to be people of faith, we're going to go to new places with God, we're going to attack the impossible, whether it's for us as a church or me as your pastor or you, are you willing to look unto God? Let your gaze be on God. And let your glance be on the world. I'm not saying be oblivious to what's going on around you. We're so in love with the world that we aren't willing to gaze upon God. God, And how do we do that? We do it through his word. We do it through uh, worship. We do it through God. Just a, a daily refocusing of ourselves. Uh, gaze at him. God, I will glance at the world. I will not let the news. I will not let the weather. I will not let emails dictate my day. You will dictate my day. We, you will be the one I will look to. I won't get up in the morning and because it's raining, I'm going to have a terrible day. Because I got a bad email, it's going to be a terrible day. Because I read the news and this happened, it's going to be a terrible day. No, God, I'm going to look to you and you're going to guide me today. And so number one is we're going to look to God. If we're going to accomplish the impossible that he has called us to walk in, it's going to be because we look to him alone by faith. That's what's going to happen. But, Mark, don't we do that sometimes? I, You know, I wish I could say yes. But, you know, me, just like you, the comforts of this world are so attractive. And we think God is a mean old ogre and he's going to take all the fun, zap all the fun out of life. And so we'd rather not look at him. But let me tell you, remember this, on the other side of the Jordan is where the promise is. We can live life to the best we can live life, or we can experience Him. So look to Him, number one. That's number one. Number two is, when He moves, you've got to follow. When God starts moving, are you willing to go with Him? Are you going to say, uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to go right now. Delayed obedience is disobedience, okay? So... Are, are you willing to go? God is moving here. We're going in this direction. God, I know you're asking this of me or you're asking this of my family or you're asking this of, of our church. God, um, man, I just don't know. We start counting the cost, counting the cost, counting the cost. And I know Jesus said to count the cost before you go into battle. And we see that illustration there. But let me tell you, we're talking about eternal life. We're talking about kingdom stuff here. And, and he's saying, come, go with me. And he starts moving and the question is, are we going to follow? 
But God, the water's flooding. I don't see the outcome. God, if you would just show me the outcome on the other side, if you'll show me how we're going to get there, Lord, now I'll go with you. But you know as well as I do, I can tell you, I can promise you this. Pam and I can look back at our life, and if God would have showed us every step of the journey, we would have said, no. No. But we know He was the one we were seeking. So when He moves, you follow. Gaze upon Him. Let your focus be set on Him. See the ark. Number two is when He moves, you go. And then thirdly is this. There has to be a return to awe and reverence of God. This scares me the most. We have become so comfortable with God. He's the man upstairs. We put him in a box. We control him. We don't allow him to share with us. We want to tell him what to do. And he, he is our puppet instead of being the awesome, holy God that he is. I want you to know something. You're thinking, well, Mark, is it that big a deal? You understand this. Your next heartbeat, your next, your next breath is in his hands, not yours. And we have got to understand that He is awesome and that He is holy. And one day we will stand before Him and only by faith can we see God. We've got to return to that awe. You know, I, I, I have a feeling that, and I was praying in the early service, before the service with one of our men, and it just kind of hit me, the fact that that uh, we, I wonder, because... Joshua said, by this are people going to know. By this are you going to know God is in your presence. So I wonder sometimes, how does our world know that, that we even follow God? Is it because we come to church on Sunday? Oh, no, man. If this was all there was to our faith, I love you. This isn't enough for me. i got to know that there is a loving God that has called me to follow Him 24-7. That is where the life is. It's out there in the Jordan. It's out there as we cross the Jordan. But I wonder when people look at us, what they see. Let me tell you what they need to see. They need to see an awesome God that we give glory to. That's what they need. They don't need good old people. Yeah, be good old people, but man, give glory to God. Let them see the glory of God. So that's number three. And number four is this, consecrate yourself. Are you willing to... Pull away from the world. Not let the world control you, but to understand that God has a new day. God may be calling some of you to stay right where you're at right now. Just be more effective in what you're doing. But are you willing to pull away, consecrate yourself, because God, a new day is coming. Listen. I believe God wants to do great things. And I, I, I don't know. I, I sometimes feel like time is short. I'm not one of those end time kind of guys. But, but I do know that Christ could return at any moment. I know that. But I, let me tell you, if he, if he tarried another thousand years, it doesn't take away the fact that we need to be in walking in obedience, crossing the Jordan because we want to experience him. And that's what we want to do. I'll end with this. Um, read about a guy the other day and and uh but i've lived this experience just like you have uh have you ever been driving down the highway man you're crooking along 70 miles an hour and you could be out on the toll road going 150 out there i don't i don't know I, some people do and and then there's a fly in the car with you you ever been there 
Oh, good night. I mean, you're, that fly is everywhere, and you're swatting at him, trying to get him, and get that fly, get that fly, and, and uh, you're trying to, to tr- get this fly out of the way and this kind of stuff, but uh, you can't get him, and you try to roll down the window. He won't go out the window, and so there's this is fly in there. Well, Guy said the other day, he said he was having this experience going 70 miles an hour down the road, and this fly's in there, and he had, he had learned, whoever clocked this, I don't know, he said the fastest a fly can fly is 24 miles an hour. 24 miles an hour is a fly. But yet, here he is going 70 miles an hour down the highway. This fly is flying around there. That fly doesn't even know it, but he's breaking world records because he's going 70 miles an hour down. And he said, you know, it's not because of the ability of that fly, but it's because of where that fly is that he is able to do beyond what he could ever do by himself. Here's the deal. You and I are limited. Oh, my goodness. Some of you are so talented and you're incredible. Some of you are struggling. But but we have these abilities in us and these gifts inside of us. And we're thinking, God, look at me. Look how great I am. Let me tell you, you can do nothing compared to what you do when you're sealed in Christ and see the incredible things that he can do through you beyond what we could ever imagine as an individual, as a church, as a body of Christ. Are you sealed in Him today? That's the question. Do you even want to be? I, I think sometimes, and I'm going, to, I'm going to pray after this, and this just hit me. I think there's something in all of us that says, God, I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I want to want to be. You know what I'm saying? Can we start there? God, I want to want to be there. Let's pray.